Welcome to Garden Church Podcast. We are in a series called Courageous Orthodoxy, Convictions for Resilient Faith. And for us at this time, we are looking at the foundations of Christian belief. We are trying to encourage you as followers of Jesus to live out of a robust theology. We're hoping that you would be encouraged by this and that you will ground your faith in the Word of God and you will live a vibrant life in the way of Jesus. Hope this empowers you and encourages you in your faith. It's uh, good to be with you. I'm going to get this so I keep myself on track here, and I know when it's over. Uh, So um, we've been in this uh, long conversation about uh, kind of marks and and the measures of of what it means for us uh, to to be the church and, and where we where we uh, kind of land on key ideas, and we've talked about a, a variety of things in this morning. I want to kind of part two of where we were last week on discipleship and think about identity uh, and what is true of us, uh, because when we stand on, the, on that kind of foundation of who we know we are, everything flows out of that. Um, and one of the things I just want to put on the table for you to consider to begin with, and maybe if you take nothing else away of, from the sermon, at least take this away, it does not matter what God believes about you if you don't also believe that. Because he won't force you to stand in reality. You'll keep bumping your head on it, but he won't force you to agree with him. This is the beauty of his love for us. Uh, But it will be a perennial and constant invitation. Um, And it's maybe even this morning, just an invitation to step into that uh, as we we consider uh, who we are and then what the implications of that are. As with everything, we begin the conversation where we've been numerous times back in Genesis where everything starts. I want you to get so kind of familiar with what those texts say, that that is what bubbles up when questions about identity show up as it regularly is in our culture, yeah? It's, it's showing up in a variety of ways, and uh, we want to kind of start at the beginning with a good foundation. And so no surprise, we're going right back to Genesis again where uh, it says in verse 26, God said, let us make humankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the sky, over the livestock, all the wild animals, over all the creatures that move on the ground. So God created humankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. He created them and God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky and every living creature that moves on the ground. And then down at the end of that chapter, verse 31, God saw all that he had made and it was very good. There was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. Um, So obviously the kind of the pivotal verse here right in the center, verse 27, is the core one. And uh, permit me to change the prepositions a little bit here. I think the Hebrew, while it can be trained in his image, it's more helpfully translated to be his image. 
And that gives us an idea of what we're talking about when we're talking about image of God. It's not characteristics or temperament or personality or nature or any of those kinds of things. Image is the image of God is humankind. Let us create humankind to be our image. So that means, again, like we've said before, every man, woman, and child from the beginning of time until time is no more, all of humankind is what it takes to image God, to reflect God, to, to represent him. He is that magnificent and, and multivaried and multi-hued, right? So, so think about this. That means that all of humankind, everyone seated here, seated here today, is a, a fragment, a refraction, a, a part of the image of God. It's not that all of us, each one of us is fully the image of God. We are part of the image of God because if all humanity is, take, is required to image God, that means I need to be in collaborative, cooperative relationship with you in order for God to be imaged accurately. So, so image is not, uh, like I said, a, a temperament or personality or talents or gifts or any of those kinds of things. It is identity. It's who we are. But who I am requires you to be who you are so that together we can image God. It is community first, giving rise to an appropriate foundation and framing for individuality. If we start with individual, we will never get to community. But if we start with community, then individuality has the capacity to flourish because it's anchored into the purpose uh, for which it was created. So image, again, this is kind of ground zero for us in terms of identity. We learn that we are part of the image, part of the, of the, of the representation of God, which is all, all, all of humanity. Um, so that idea suggests that in order for me, in order for you to be fully yourself, you need to be a self in relationship to other selves. And both of those selves, all of those selves need to be in appropriate relationship with God. So he is, if you will, the aligning principle. It's his image seen in the mirror of humanity that controls the nature. So image is controlled by that. Think of a mirror. The mirror doesn't get a vote on what it images. Neither do you. You're, you're, if you will, the mirror. God is the one that we are imaging. So your identity is actually not a construct of yours or of humanity's. We, we, are, we are the reflection, if you will, of the God who by virtue of his nature controls our identity. That means, for example, in our current culture, we're debating whether, whether identity is a psychological or sociological construct. Genesis tells us, no, it isn't. In fact, what identity is, is a reflection of who God is. And we need, if, if, we, if we don't get that right, if we get that upside down, we will constantly be looking around in various mirrors, if, it, if you will, 
seeking identity in all of the wrong places because we are the image of God. And that is the reality. Now, whether you believe it or not will determine to the degree to which you live in it. And if you don't agree with what God has said about your, you're going to be looking around for all kinds of what you're going to, you're going to take your identity out of your job or out of your role as a parent. I'm a mom. That's my identity. No, it isn't. That's the expression of the identity, but it's not your identity. I'm a man. I'm a woman. My gender, my sexuality. No, I'm sorry. Those are, you'll notice, male and female arises out of image. So, so to, to take my image from my gender or my sexuality, that's Freud, not Jesus. And we need to be clear on that because we're in, in the middle of a, of, of a challenging season in multiple ways. I mean, uh, how many of us find people, in fact, sometimes looking back in the mirror for you is my identity is the role I play in my company or my family or my socioeconomic status. And as soon as we start to do that, we lose track. It does not matter what God believes about me. If I believe that my primary role is dad, I'm not going to release my children to their full adult lives because I need to be dad to them. I lose my place when they become men with whom I am interrelated primarily sons of God, not his dad and son. Do, do you see what I'm after here? Uh, and the same thing, you'll, if, if your identity is your job and you lose your job, now who are you? And this is, this is not hypothetical, is it? I, I'm, I'm, you know, I got a shelf life, uh, a, 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 a use by date. You know what I mean? I'm, and I'm, I'm, I'm looking for the off-ramp of retirement. And part of my struggle is I've been doing things for 45 years. Who am I when I'm not doing those things? Well, as it turns out, I'm going to be just fine. Thank you very much. Because who I am does not depend on what I do. What I do flows out of who I am. Do, do you see what we're after here? So, so identity here is, 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 is this, this responsibility. You'll notice we were created to be the image of God and immediately given a task. Care for the earth. Be good stewards of the planet. You're, you're, you're given responsibility as the image of God, as his ambassador, as his reflection to care for the planet. So not only is my identity anchored with y'alls, but all of our identity is anchored with the earth's as well. We could say with Brother Francis, Brother Sun and Sister Moon, we could look at the animals, we could look at the, at the trees and the flowers, and we can recognize in those beautiful creations part of the same voice that spoke us into being. We recognize that we are, are, are finding our identity not in isolation from, but in solidarity with and connection with the rest of the creation, not just people, but with the entirety of creation. And we'll talk about what happens when that gets misplaced or, 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 or lost, but our identity is linked of necessity to all of humanity, but also to the rest of creation. And notice what God says at the end of that beautiful story. He saw that it was very 
good. And this good here is, is not a, a moral category, good versus evil or bad. It's a, a category of function. It's the same Hebrew word tov that is translated elsewhere, beauty. God looks at his creation and says, beauty. But in Hebrew, beauty is a term of function. It works. It operates. It does what I created it to do. Its form and its purpose are ideally suited to one another. So what does God do when he says of his creation, of you, it is good? He says, essentially, I can trust this. And so he releases it. Now you all go out and reproduce after your kind. I trust you. I tr- and he releases his creation with capacity for its life, but without control of the outcome. We are invited to become co-creators with God and, 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 and join with him as part of his image, part of his representative, in, in continuing to expand the wonder of, 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 of creation. Uh, and, and, and God trusts his creation so much that he empowers us without control and with capacity. We struggle a lot, don't we, on whether we can trust God. Can we just put that to rest? Write it down someplace where you'll not lose track of it. You can trust God. As long as gravity is holding you to the dirt, you can trust God because it does. Do do you see? The question is not whether we can trust God. The question is whether God can trust us. That's what he's looking for. Women and men whom he can trust to do what he created him for in the first place. Sadly, this state of affairs didn't last very long. In Genesis chapter 3, we thought we knew a better way. We decided we could take a shortcut and discovered ourselves lost in the dark. Uh, We severed our connection to God, and that immediately meant that our relationships with one another were compromised. Remember the story in Genesis 3? We we see that we are naked, that that we are exposed, that we are uh, um, uh, uh, unknown, and what do we do immediately? We start to hide. And notice from whom first? From each other first. We sow fig leaves together and hide from one another. And the, and the relationships between brothers and sisters that are necessary for us to be human begin to fragment. We become inhuman. We lose touch with our humanity. Can I get a witness? This is what's happening in our world today. We are, we are becoming more and more inhumane to one another because we've lost the fact that... W- we share the same spiritual DNA. We want to them and other people and put them in categories so we know how to deal with them. And God is just saying to all of his children, I want you guys to get along. You're going to be spending an awful lot of time together. You better figure this out. Do you see? So here's the challenge coming out of chapter 3 is that we thinking we know a better way ended up in the wilderness of our, of our chaos and confusion relative to our identity. And here we are in chapter five, where it says the written account of Adam's family line, verse one, God created human, mankind, humankind. He made them 
in the likeness of God. You hear the echo. He created them, male and female. He blessed them. He named them humankind when they were created. And now here we are, four chapters later, Adam lived 130 years and he had a son in his own likeness, in his own image. Then he named him Seth, and after Seth was born, Adam lived 800 years, had other sons and daughters altogether. Adam lived a total of 930 years, and he died. That's what happens when you forget who you actually are. You reproduce after your understood kind. And instead of the image of God, we now are created in the image of flawed, fatally flawed human beings. And the implications of this, of course, uh, are, are, are the, the scriptural shorthand for this is sin. It means to miss the mark. It means to fall short of the glory of God, the image of God. You are created to image, to reflect God, to be his glory. And when we choose another way, we fall short of that. We no longer reflect God in the way that we come. And, and then what happens to identity is that it becomes a crapshoot of, of popular opinion, of how many likes I get on Facebook, and do I, do I look good in this dress? I, we have all kinds of ways of getting identity locked and loaded when we have forgotten who we are. When you, when you disconnect identity from its primary source as the, the one seen in the mirror, then all bets are off. And this is where we are living now uh, and where Paul picks it up for us. In Ephesians chapter 2, he says, look, guys, you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you, you used to live when you followed the ways of this world, the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh, following its desires and thoughts. And like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is grace, by grace you have been saved. God raised us up with Christ, seated us with him in the heavenly realms, in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not something you did on your own. It is the gift of God, not by work so that nobody can boast because we are God's handiwork. We are God's masterpiece. We are created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So God, seeing our sad and sorry uh, state, the hole that we continued to dig ourselves into and, and thinking by digging more that we will get out. It's like when you are in a hole, stop digging. We didn't know how not to do that. We didn't know how to stop. We just started to tunnel and wondered why it wasn't getting any lighter. 
God came to us when we had turned in such a way that we were his enemies, opposed to his purposes, even for us, let alone for the world. Remember, this is hardly ever about us. God's image is not about God's image. It's about witness and, 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 and care for the world and for other persons. So when we, we get lost in the dark, he has to come to us in the dark. When we were dead, what it turns out that what we were digging was not a hole, but a grave. And it had become our home. We were dead, it says, in trespasses and sins. And he came to us when we were still his enemies. Because he loved us. This is something that's very challenging for us. We want to be loved because we're lovable. We don't realize, no, you're, you're, you're loved because he's love. Your lovability comes out of his character, not yours, not mine. We, didn't, we, were, we deserved wrath. That's what we deserved. I mean, I get, I get all the language of, you know, you're enough and, and, and you're worthy. I get that. I get that. It's just that it's backwards. All of that worth is not reason. It's result. Your worth is not why. It's the outcome. His love is the why. His love is the how. The result of that is that you are infused with value, worth, and significance. Your identity is being restored in Christ Jesus. He raised us up into this new posture, a restoration of our identity in Christ. And we find ourselves now in him. The strategy of love is to link our identity with that of Jesus. And this restoration, this relearning of identity becomes then a progressive series of dying so that we might be raised to newness of life. And this, 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 is, this is the reason. Jesus didn't die. Remember, we've talked about this so that we wouldn't have to. Jesus died so that we would know how to. We follow Jesus, not dying in the way that he died, but learning from him how we can die on our own cross. You did, again, bring yours with you today, did you not? He said, take up your cross. Why? Because you're going to need it daily. The self has to die. That All of the stuff that we have added to ourselves so that we can manage an identity in a world that is pummeling us with lies. And we have, we have cobbled together, we have barnacled an identity around us. All of that has to die. All of it has to die. So that the true self can emerge, created to be part of God's image again. The, because <laughs> this is the beauty of it. it, it, it if you don't die, you don't discover that on the other side of dying is the life you were actually built for. Resurrection actually is not technically possible if you don't die. So we're invited into imitation. We're invited into the following. We're invited to submit ourselves to Christ, which then notice as we submit to Christ, guess what happens to our relationships with one another? We are drawn together. I start to realize you're wrong about so many things. But at the end of the day, you're my brother, you're my sister. We belong 
to each other. Not only that, but I need your wrongness to fill in the places that my rightness won't get me. You see? It's genius. Brilliant. Somebody should have thought of this. (laughs) Right? So we're invited into this, this masterpiece of God that we are. Paul goes on a bit further in Galatians. He says, at the set time, God, God sent his son. Oh, can I, sorry, I need to say one more thing. You'll notice that the outcome of this restored identity is what? Did you catch it at the end of verse eight there? Created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Doesn't that sound like the echo of Genesis one? It's not simply let's all hold hands and celebrate who we are. It's let's get to work. We've got a planet to partner with God in the restoring of. We have, we have a, 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 an environment that is falling apart, disintegrating, because we have been, as the integrating component, a wall. We've, we've, we've forgotten who we are, and the planet is vibrating. You can feel it, can't you? With anticipation, hope, but also, come on! a certain impatience. We'll talk about that in a minute. So here we pick it back up in chapter uh, four of Galatians, verse four, when the set time had come, God then sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. We've talked about this a lot. Because you are his sons and daughters then, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts that very spirit who calls out Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you an heir. So notice this identity that we have gotten lost has now been reestablished in Christ and we who are in Christ share that same identity. Now we are, are adopted, we are brought in and notice the, the, the language, this, this image language might even be somewhat distancing and off-putting. So, so God goes one step further and says, no, here's what I really mean by this. You are my beloved sons and daughters. You have the right to call me Abba, Daddy. You have the right to draw near. You're not slaves anymore. You're my sons and daughters. You're my precious children. The spirit in you calls, Abba, Father. Can you hear the echo of your own identity as coming back from Abba, Father? My beloved son, my beloved daughter, you are precious to me. As you connect your heart to me, my heart is connected to you. Our identity is restored as family now. Not just, if you will, even though it was never intended that way, but I think sometimes we think of images distanced from the one we are imaging. Please notice the New Testament in Christ brings us even more close. We're not just the refraction, not just the reflection of God. We are, New Testament, the body of Christ. We have a place. So here's here's the challenge, though. That new identity is going to be tested. And our grip on it, same as it was in Genesis chapter three, our grip on our identity is going to be tested. Same as it was 
for Jesus. Here we pick up the story, verse 16 of Matthew 3. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. And at that moment, the heavens were opened. He saw the spirit of God descending and resting on him like a dove. And a voice came from the heavens. This is my son whom I love. In him, I am well pleased. Just pause for a moment. Please notice Jesus has done nothing to earn this. Everything he does flows out of this. You you with me? Everything he does flows out of this. All of his ministry yet to come. He doesn't do this as a way of earning the love of God. He does this because he has it. He knows who he is. Being is established so that doing that flows out of it is not destructive. So this is the truth. This is my beloved son. But now, being well pleased with him, notice what the Holy Spirit does. Jesus was driven, led by the Spirit into the desert to be tested by the devil. And he fasted 40 days and 40 nights. And after that, he became hungry and the tempter came to him and said, If you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Do you catch the temptation? If you are the son of God, if, if you heard rightly, if you are standing in the reality of what you have heard, if you believe about you what God believes about you, take advantage of it. Prove it. Just so you know. You could have it on your CV. Can turn stones into bread. Anybody else tempted to prove your identity? By varying means, I am somebody. And as soon as you know that you have to prove that you are somebody, you know that you're not. Or at least that you don't stand, (coughs) excuse me, in the reality that you have. Because if you have to prove it, who are you proving it to? You really think the devil doesn't know who you are? Really? He's just trying to get you to deny what he knows. So prove it. And Jesus, of course, this isn't his first rodeo. Man doesn't live by bread alone. I've heard the word. And I'm going to live by the word that I heard from the Father. Every mouth, every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. I'm going to live in that reality. (coughs) So, part two. The devil... um, takes him to the holy city, has him stand on the highest point of the temple and says, if you are the son of God, cast yourself down. It's written, he will command his angels concerning you. They will lift lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. You hear the temptation here. We've talked about this before. Well, if you're not gonna prove it, at least make God prove it. Make God come to your rescue. I mean, it'll be a perfect Instagram moment. You're going to get millions of likes on this one. You get to be an influencer of identity. If you, <laughs> you know, because here's the deal. If you haven't believed God's word, what makes you think you're going to believe anything God does to prove it? If the word isn't enough, no miracle will be. 
You'll just be lusting for more of them. Do you see what's going on here? And anybody feel the temptation to make God prove it? You know, and, and sometimes we, we, we're really coy because we're thinking, you know, we can kind of manipulate him like we did our mom and dad. We can make him think this is for your glory. God doesn't need any more likes. He's good the way he is. He's good the way he is. Yeah? So Jesus, dude, you, you, don't, you don't put the Lord your God to the test. That's just a non-starter for Jesus. So the devil takes him now to a very high mountain, shows him all the kingdoms of the world, their splendor. All this will I give you if you bow down and worship me. Remember why Jesus came. He came to regain the kingdoms of the world that we who were their steward abandoned in Genesis chapter three. We gave up our right. So now he's the prince of the power of the air. And he's saying to Jesus, I'll give you what they gave me and you don't have to go to the cross. You don't have to die. You don't have to pay the price of your identity. Just bow down and worship me. Just let me validate your identity. I'll take care of it for you. I've been in public relations for a long time. Can you say the big lie? And of course, Jesus says, you, you, you worship the Lord, your God, and him only you serve. Anybody feel that temptation to avoid the pain of being who you are as the beloved of God. It's gonna cost you something. Some of you, it's cost you family members. Some of you, it's cost you maybe promotion at work. Some of you, maybe it's cost you uh, friendships. Maybe it's a way of doing business that used to be appropriate to you and you've discovered I can't do business that way anymore. Tiny little costs. It's gonna cost you something to, to be a child of God. It, it just will. Of course, it's going to cost you more not to be. We talk an awful lot about the cost of discipleship. Should we just talk for a few minutes about the cost of non-discipleship? That doesn't end well. Do you see where we're going here? So Jesus calls him out on it and says, no, we're not going to do that. So uh, if, if prove it, make God prove it, avoid the price of it. And now in our culture, we should probably add a fourth, fourth, fourth temptation. Make society, make the culture, make your group validate your identity and censure them if they don't. Here's the problem. Anybody you cancel for canceling you will soon turn around and start to cancel you with ferocity. If your identity depends on public opinion and societal approval, you've lost the plot. Identity is anchored in the voice from the heavens. That's why Jesus spent 40 days consuming the word of God. We call it fasting. He called it feasting absorbing that word that he had heard so that when the moment came, he could speak to the reality 
of who he was and from that reality. This is why he says, look, whoever, whoever tries to find their life is going to lose it. But whoever loses their life for my sake, for the gospels, you'll be just fine. God doesn't want to ruin your life. He wants to give you your life. He does, however, want to take all of the things of death that you have cobbled onto your life and kill them because he can't empower death, just life. So Paul goes on in Romans chapter 8. Those, uh, I'm, I'm over time, I'll be done. Those, those who are led, Romans 8, 14, those who are led by the Spirit of God, children of God, spirit received does not make you slaves. Remember, you live in fear. No, you don't do that anymore. Why? Because the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. By him we cry, Abba, Father, echoing what we read in Galatians. And the spirit now testifies with us that we are God's children. And if we are God's children, then we are heirs, heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ, if we share his sufferings in order that we may also share his glory. Remember, death is prelude to resurrection. I consider then the present sufferings, the ways of dying are not worth being compared to the glory that will be revealed in us for the creation. Oh, wait. This isn't about us. The creation itself waits in eager anticipation, expectation for the children of God to be revealed. Down to verse 22, we know that the whole creation has been groaning in the pains of childbirth up to this very present time. And not only this, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we eagerly await the adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. So again, the point of, of, of crucifixion is, is a, a portal through to the resurrection life and, and a, re, a rewriting, a writing of things, a, a reorienting, a realigning of things so that now all of a sudden the creation, which has been holding its breath in anticipation of the revealing of the sons and daughters of God, can now begin again to join their songs with ours. The creation can once again begin to cooperate with us. The creation can once again begin to flourish in its co-creativity, the creation can once again uh, reflect the character of the Father who spoke it into being and become again good. Just, uh, it's just stunning to him. I, can't, I don't have an imagination big enough for this because I look at the creation, uh, uh, a rose, a, a, a mountain, and, and I just sometimes, sunrise or sunset, just drawn to weep with the beauty of it. This is what a fallen creation looks like. Can you imagine what a restored, redeemed creation, properly stewarded by the sons and daughters of God who have remembered what they, we've woken from our long amnesia, and we have remembered once again who we are and begin to act out of that core identity. And the creation says, all right, let's do this. Because it's not about you, me. It's about the glory of God. This is why Paul says, you think that's done when we get this done? No, 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 no. Here's what he's praying for us, Ephesians chapter 3. This is why I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches... 
He may strengthen you in your inner being through power, with, through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, now being rooted and grounded in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people, community again, yeah? For what? To grasp. How wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ to know the love of, uh, uh, that surpasses knowledge. Why? So that you might be filled up to the measure of the fullness of God. You're built for union with God. You're built to be inundated, to be one with Christ and one with God as Christ was one with God. This is John 17. He's praying this over us. Can you have a, do you have an imagination for what it might look like to be at one with God again as we were before that fall? This is astonishing to me. Uh, John tries to get a hold of this. He says in 1 John 3, 2, Beloved, we are now the sons of God, the daughters of God, the children of God. But what we shall be has not yet appeared. Here's what we know. When we see him, we shall be like him and we will be able to see him in all of his glory. That's where this train stops. Don't get off before we get home. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we bow our hearts, our minds, our spirits before you with gratitude that you have bowed before us and have lifted us. You have stooped to come beneath us and lift us up and restore us. And I pray, oh God, that we would begin to risk believing about us what you believe about us. That we would begin again to step in to the beauty of what it means for us to be your sons and daughters. That we would begin again to let our identity flow out of our relationship with you and out of that being begin to do the things that you have called and created us and placed us on the planet to do. Oh Lord, I pray for courage because this is going to take some work. It's going to take some faith. Thank you that even that is not of our own production. We count on you. We trust in you and pray, oh God, your will be done. Your kingdom come. Amen. 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 Thank you for listening. We are Garden Church. To find out more about our community and to find resources to help you in your spiritual journey, visit garden.church.